You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. go um, as we normally do with our Seahawks first here who continue to move throughout spring uh, pardon me not spring training I'm getting ahead of myself here through free agency so free agency kicks off here and the Seahawks instantly add um, some starter caliber players Uh, begins on the 13th when the team signed defensive tackle Draymond Jones uh, from the Denver Broncos to a three-year 51 million dollar deal 40 million of that is guaranteed and he gets a 20 million dollar signing bonus uh evens out to about 10 million dollars per year um jones had 47 tackles six and a half sacks nine tackles for loss and 10 quarterback hits in 13 games last year for denver is often referred to as one of the hardest working most consistent inside defensive linemen in the league over the last few years that he's been in the nfl so that's an impact signing immediately uh there's been a lot of talk about uh, the Seahawks adding in the D line in the draft, and they still should do that. Uh, but this this is a big help already for Seattle, looking to revitalize that defensive line, be able to stop the run a lot better, be able to create some more havoc, get to the quarterback, help their secondary out a little bit. So that is a big instant um, impact signing made by Seattle. And part of that is made possible by Geno Smith's deal in the way that it's structured and the way that's laid out, like we talked about last week. So that was a big deal to start free agency off. Um, the day late, the day after, pardon me, the team brought back linebacker John Radigan. Uh, they tendered an offer to the exclusive right free agent linebacker slash special teams mainstay. Um, so Radigan's mainly sort of a depth piece, a special teams guy. He comes back. Um, that same day, the team signed defensive tackle John Reed to a two-year deal. So Reed comes back after being drafted by Seattle, the University of Alabama. Bounced around, spent some time in Kansas City, most recently Green Bay, um, and now he returns home to Seattle. So again, like I mentioned, with revitalizing that defensive line, Seattle seems to be getting back to, well, they bring back Reed, but uh, getting some impact uh, along the defensive tackle spot um, and beefing that up a little bit after, again, being a team that really struggled against the run last year. Most notably when they let the, I believe they were, the, I want to say the 31st worst team at rushing, uh, running the football per, uh, yards per game uh, last year when they let Tampa Bay run all over them in Germany. Um, or when the Panthers ran all over Seattle, I believe for 200 yards. You look at Josh Jacobs had a massive game against Seattle last year. Jacobs one of the better backs in the league, but you get the point here. Stopping the run was not something that Seattle really could do last season. Um and just getting better along the defensive line is always a good thing. Getting better in the trenches is always a key aspect to the football team. And on the 16th, uh, they did that on the other side. And when they signed guard slash center Evan Brown, Brown uh, spent a lot of time as a, a rotational sort of player along the Lions offensive line and is viewed mostly as a center by general manager John Schneider. Now, some were kind of viewing this as he's the starter now with um, – Austin Blythe retiring. Uh, I still believe that Seattle could draft a center in this uh, in this year's uh, selections. Michael Schmintz is a guy out of Minnesota who's been getting a lot of talk, but with the way that his stock might be rising, he might not be someone that Seattle can grab with their respective picks and where they see him going. Um, but I, I don't want it to seem like Brown. It's it's been made uh, some some people have made it seem like that selection is going to be your starter at center. And I'm not completely buying it yet. I think that with Gabe Jackson gone and Phil Haynes likely taking, taking that starting spot, um, you're going to need depth anyway. And this is another some uh, player that's versatile uh, for Seattle. They can move him around the line there. Um, if need be. Um, the team also re-signed quarterback Drew Locke to a one-year deal. It's worth $4 million. Uh, can go up to $7.5 million depending on incentives for Locke, uh, but only about $1.7 million of it is guaranteed. So very low-risk sort of deal there to bring back Locke. So Seattle keeps their quarterback room that they had last season, and that 
the, the Smith deal and the lock signing, uh, the lock signing, albeit very low risk, kind of makes it seem like Seattle won't draft a quarterback at least decently high. Uh, but again, with little money of that, little of that money being guaranteed, I still put that in the realm of possibility that maybe that can happen. Just saying maybe it's a little bit uh, less likely. Um, on the 17th, you can see here, these things just keep, Seattle's been busy already in the first week. Um, they signed linebacker Devin Bush to a one-year deal. So the former Steeler comes to Seattle. Uh, General Manager John Schneider, you know, through this past week has talked a lot um, about different position groups, talked about linebacker being an area of concern. Uh, and they said after this Bush deal that they are still keenly interested in signing Bobby Wagner. So I don't, again, this was something where... I don't know if it's just uh, sort of short-term stuff where people just want to jump on anything, but there was this idea that the Devin Bush signing meant no Bobby Wagner. The, I, you know, it's the first week of free agency. There's a lot still that can take place. The same day, the team signed safety Julian Love to a two-year, $12 million deal. Now, Love is an interesting signing, considering the fact that he spent a good amount of time with the New York Giants as a starter. He wore the captain C for the Giants on defense, so that's a big deal to bring an experienced leader into this group. Seattle has a very talented safety room. Now with, with, with love, with Jamal Adams, Ryan Neal has been tendered, but that's a very low tender deal and he could be signed by somebody else or someone could match that. Uh, and then Jamal Adams, obviously trying to recover uh, from that injury and hopefully stay healthy this year to be able to contribute to that safety room. Now there's been a lot of talk that Seattle could release Adams uh, because of his post, I believe it's post June designation cap cut. Um, I don't know about that. Uh, that'll be an injury. I, I, I want to see Jamal Adams succeed. I really do. Uh, the injuries have been unfortunate. You know, you saw the impact that he had with Seattle uh, when he was healthy and he had the, the sack record, I believe for DBs uh, that year when Seattle won the division. Um, I want him to be successful. I really do. I know a lot of people have angst about that. There's the talk about the deal uh, with the first round picks. Obviously, it was a big deal to acquire Adams. Um, it's been unfortunate. It's been unfortunate, really. But again, I just want to see them all succeed. I think Love adds a great aspect to that. Uh, great, again, versatile player. Um that Seattle can use around the lineup. So I don't, again, there's, you want to look at it. It's funny because this applies to the Mariners as well. You don't want to look at a player as just spitting one spot. Like Evan Brown will probably play along the three inside parts of the offensive line. Julian Love will probably bounce around the secondary, you know? So I want to keep that in mind, you know, as we look through free agency here, especially because Again, there was worry. It was like the first few hours of free agency. Some deals had been done and people were like, oh, Seattle do something. It's like, hey, man, they made a that Jones signing is a big deal. It's going to be a big deal. And that's something that, you know, we'll probably look back at, um, excuse me, uh, during the season. So, you know, I'm happy with the first week overall and what we've seen from Seattle. Um, and I don't know if you need to necessarily do much more. We do want to look at the losses here or guys who decided to not come back to Seattle, guys who Seattle didn't want to bring back. Uh, Cody Barton signed with the Washington Commanders. I said he wasn't going to be with Seattle and I was right about that. Uh, I just didn't, I was kind of surprised he didn't try to sign back with the Seahawks. Uh, the team released defensive tackle Quentin Jefferson. Uh, cutting Jefferson saved Seattle $4.49 million against the cap. So some moves there to acquire more space to bring guys in. Running back Rashad Penny decided to sign with the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, which was an interesting move. He'll have a great offensive line to rush behind, so nothing but the best to Penny there. And then running back Travis Homer signed with Chicago Bears. Now those two moves of Penny and Homer going elsewhere means you've now got Walker on the roster. You've got DJ Dallas. Um, I don't think Godwin Iguibike is on the roster yet. Um, so it likely means we might see another drafted uh, running back and you might see another uh, veteran signed as well uh, to this team, which is an interesting. It's interesting to think about that, you know, because it would have been great to see a one-two punch of Penny and Walker. But 
you know, I, I think Penny wanted to change the scenery and, you know, with Walker kind of taking over the league back spot, I don't know if he wanted to take that number two role. So um, interesting there. And those are your losses so far. Um, we move over here to something that's not technically free agency related. On the 14th, the team announced its 2023 coaching staff. Uh, not too many new moves. There are a good amount of, there a good amount. There is some a few players, former players on this, uh, on this list, and then a, a few new, uh, positional coaches as well. So we'll go here. Obviously Pete Carroll remains the head coach, defensive coordinator. Clint Hurt remains in that spot. Larry Izzo still the special teams coordinator. Shane Waldron stays as offensive coordinator. Uh, Roy Anderson in the secondary, uh, some notable things. Andy Dickerson stays along the offensive line. That was a big deal. Um, BT Jordan, who you can see pictured here as the pass rush specialist has been brought on. Um, we move over here. You can see offensive passing game quarters and wide receiver coach Sanjay Lyle is a, a big addition. Well, not addition. He's a big piece of that as well. And he remains on there. Um, trying to see Greg Olson, not former tight end Greg Olson. Greg Olson takes over as the quarterback's coach. That was announced a few weeks ago. Um, assistant DB slash cornerbacks coach is Sean Shedd, who you can see pictured here. Um Defensive assistant Nico Thorpe used to be a Seahawk as well. And then uh, defensive assistant and D-line coach Will Tukwafi used to be a, a player as well. So three players that I can note here. I could be wrong. There could be a couple more guys who are older there um, that I don't recognize. But at least three former uh, players is kind of interesting to note um, for the Seahawks there. In terms of league-related news, uh, the only thing that really we wanted to pay attention to, because obviously with free agency starting, there's a lot of different things that have taken place across the league. But with league news, we try to keep it news that's kind of relevant to the Seahawks in the division primarily, or things that relate to the things that are at the top of the top headlines. And that uh, we talked about the Rodgers saga. Uh, the Jets are confident that a Rodgers trade will happen. Uh, they believe that it eventually will happen. It will be sorted out. But from what I can gather and understand, and even Rodgers saying on the Pat McAfee show, is that they're, uh, the Packers are kind of holding that up. So we'll see if that takes place. I'm over it. If I was a Packers fan, I'd be tired. Um, I know the 49ers did sign Javon Hargrave from the Eagles. That's a big deal. So their defensive line gets even better, which is scary. And, it's, you know, that's uh, just ridiculous. Um, so stuff stuff like Javon Hargrave for the 49ers is why it's so key for the, the Seahawks to draft a guy like Michael Schmitz potentially just so you can have a solid center position guy for years to come. Not necessarily like an Evan Brown who's a veteran. And uh, maybe if, if he locks down that spot and is your starter for years to come, sure. But you don't want stopgap guys um, on that offensive line, especially when you're in a division with the 49ers and that defensive line, uh, the Rams. I don't know what they're going to look like here going forward. Um but point being, you know, when you're play, you you plan to play your division, considering how many games are dedicated to them throughout the course of the regular season, and obviously, you know, getting better along the trenches is always something uh, that you want to improve upon. So that'll wrap things up for our Mariners here. I mean, Seahawks here. I'm getting ahead to myself. Perhaps it's excitement, um, but in case you haven't seen it, I know that the uh, sort of announcement post went out a little bit, um, but part of the Circling Seattle Sports and Converge Media uh, sports team here is going to head down to spring training starting uh, the 21st through the 28th of March here. So the last real week of spring training, uh, myself as long, uh, alongside our league photographer, Liv Lyons, will be heading down to cover the games there. We'll have obviously the game coverage um, and live as well. I mean, it'll be great to have those live as uh, opposed to watching on TV, listening on the radio or following along um, on MLB.com. But to have that in addition to, you know, we're going to have a lot of content in terms of player interviews, uh, trying to get some coach interviews as well before the season begins a daily journal so you can follow along through our journey as uh, that continues to progress um, and potentially more there as well so want to be able to pay attention for that so i'm gonna run this here you want to follow us on our platforms as well as the converge media platform so that you can see how that all goes down as we go down to peoria for spring training um, and to take that on it's going to be a really big fun exciting 
it's an exciting journey. I mean, it's it's a week um, of being down there with the group. The the roster is really sorting itself out here. More and more roster moves are made every day for the Mariners to continue to cut down to that 40-man roster, that opening day roster that we'll see for a year where, you know, that drought is over. And now it's, it's, it's shooting for getting further than what they did this past year, which was, I mean, making it to um, the ALDS, which is no uh, laughing matter. You know, but it's it's you've you've got the boogeyman. He's gone uh, in terms of the drought. So it's now to continue forward um, and go further. You know, I know they added some key veterans. Uh, you've got a lot of interesting storylines this year um, on top of just the normal stuff. So it'll be a lot of fun to get that going um, and get down there, which is tomorrow. I head out. So um We've got the little scroller going down below, uh, so you can make sure to follow us on our socials. Uh, we also did hit a thousand followers on Twitter. I uh, want to talk about that later, but that's big. That's exciting. So I wanted to mention that uh, before we really began our Mariners um, recap for the past week. So we'll start with our past week in games, of course. Uh, March 13th at the LA Angels, a two-day loss. Our player of the game center fielder, Jared Kelnick, JK, two hits and two runs on the day. Uh, March 14th versus the KC Royals, an 8-6 to six win. Our player of the game, left fielder, Randy Bednar. Bednar, one hit, one run, and two RBIs. Unfortunately, the game on the 15th against the Athletics was rained out. Yes, rained out down in Peoria. So we don't have anything for that. Uh, the Mariners did make up with it with a day game and a sort of split squad thing. Um, the the next day in the morning uh, against the Padres, but there was no sort of there was no coverage of that, so that was kind of I can't really tell you what happened there. Um, and then March 16th, first of the Giants ended in a 0-0 tie. Our put of the game starting pitcher, George Kirby. Kirby, three and a thirds innings pitched, four hits allowed, no runs allowed, no walks, and four strikeouts on the day. Uh, continuing those games, March 17th versus the Padres, a 10-5 win. Our player of the game, Sam Haggerty. Haggerty, two hits, two runs, and one RBI on the day. March 18th at the Cleveland Guardians, a 4-5 loss. Our player of the game, first baseman Mike Ford. Ford, one hit, one run, one RBI, and one walk. And then March 19th was actually a split squad day. Uh, those teams playing at the same time. Um at the Rangers, a two to one loss. Our player of the game, left fielder Jared Kelnick. Kelnick two hits there, and the tough loss is the Mariners face Jacob Degrom, who played in his one of his first few outings really um, for the Rangers. And then the game, the same day at the same time against the Chicago White Sox, uh, six to two loss. Our player of the game, starting pitcher Robbie Ray. Ray opened the game off nice, four innings pitch, two hits allowed, no runs, two walks, and nine Ks. But the uh, the bullpen did not help him out there in that loss to the White Sox. That is a great transition uh, as we go over to our player of the week here. I went with Robbie Ray um, over the past week. Um, Two games played, seven innings pitch total, six hits allowed, one earned run, three walks, and 15 strikeouts. He now has 21 Ks over 12 innings pitched this spring. It was very interesting to see in Ray's first year as a Mariner signed a five-year deal. I believe it was a five-year deal. I could work to clarify that as I go on here. Um, but, you know, coming off of a Cy Young, there was talk about uh, he regressed. Yes, a five-year, $115 million. All right. Got that right. Um, there was some regression with Ray. I know he struggled here, but in terms of his general numbers over the course of the year, he had similar numbers to his Cy Young season. Um, he's added a new pitch. Um, the reports have come out from camp that, excuse me, he's looked even better this year and his, his strikeouts have been better. So a bounce back year for Ray could put him in Cy Young contention once again. So that is something to keep a note of. Um, oh goodness. That is something to keep a note of there. Um, but it's, it's just crazy to think that he had a, uh, a regressing year when he had similar numbers to his Cy Young season. You know, I, I, I think that some of those outings, uh, particularly, well, even like the Jordan Alvarez home run against him in the ALDS, some people see that and they overreact and they they put that as a sort of 
cover for his whole year, which shouldn't be the case. So anyway, uh, continuing on here with some news uh, injury related on the 17th of March, we found out that uh, Dylan Moore suffered an oblique strain and will not be available for opening day. So Moore, who had already dealt with uh, a surgery over the past year, will now miss some time and not be on the opening day roster. Uh, not available in the opening day roster, that is, because of that oblique strain. Uh, I believe he was, mm, I don't want to say he was in a game. Yeah, he was in uh, batting practice and he strained it. Um, so that's unfortunate to see and that's tough to see. And there have been calls to find a replacement for more there. More can obviously play the infield and the outfield as well. Um, it'll be interesting here now because the Mariners, I believe they just cut it down. We're getting closer and closer to that 40 man, uh, but Four players, I want to say, were just uh, sent down to minor league camp. I can get that here for you officially. Uh, three pitchers. Okay, Bryce Miller was sent to minor league camp, so Bryce Miller will not be on the opening day roster. Harry Ford, minor league camp, and then Leo Rivas and Kian Wong. Okay, so we can look at the infielders here and see. Jose uh, Caballero, maybe. I mean, you've got Tommy Lestella still. Mason McCoy might hang out a little bit. I doubt Jake Shiner will. Um, yeah, maybe Mason McCoy or Caballero. Um, but honestly, with Lestello there, I might, they might just be fine without it. So, um, yeah, that's unfortunate to see. But again, I want to say it's, it'll be very exciting. I mean, spring training, um, I don't know if I should reveal this because I might get made fun of for it, but I've tried to go down to the spring training twice before this. The first year, COVID happened, and then the second year, the lockout happened. So knock knock on wood that nothing happens between now and tomorrow. Um, but no, it'll be exciting to go down and be able to tell some stories, uh, get some storylines going ahead of the season here. It, it'll be exciting. You know, Seattle is a baseball city. Um, generally a, a multi-sport city, obviously, but you know, the support that the Mariners get when they're going is insane. Uh, even when they're not going, just seeing the Mariners logo around, I mean, being able to have this postseason uh, logo on the side of a hat means a lot, you know? So um, Mariners season is where a lot of things started for us, you know, whether that's with Converge here or a bunch of different opportunities. So, you know, looking to keep that going, uh, go even further than we did last season, obviously, but continue to tell those stories, go more in depth than we did last season. And that starts in spring training this year, which is a big thing. So we want to continue um, to be excited for that. And, and, you know, that starts tomorrow. So uh, that'll be a lot of fun. But again, you want to make sure you want to follow us on socials, of course. Uh, we look at league notes here. The only thing that we have uh, as the World Baseball Classic continues um, is that Jose Altuve was injured in the World Baseball Classic. So again, I talked about in the Seahawks league notes how we want to, in all of the league notes, we kind of keep it division related normally, or if it's like the top, top headlines. Um, the Astros all-star second baseman is out indefinitely after having surgery to repair a broken thumb. So that could impact it. From what I read, the recovery is about eight to 10 weeks. So it's not super long, but that should still impact the Astros a decent bit. They're still a great team. They will still probably finish top of the division, um, but it will hurt them for those, those weeks that Altuve is out. Um, we look ahead here till for this uh, sort of last remaining stretch of games um, starting on March 20th today versus the Brewers at 110. That already has started. Let's see if we can um, find an update on that. We'll keep going here on March 22nd. The, so they get the day off on the 21st. March 22nd versus the Dodgers is a 640 p.m. start. March 23rd at the Reds is a 605 start. And then March 24th, versus the Oakland Athletics is a 640 start here. Um, zero, zero, bottom of the first two outs. Okay. Um, as you see here, the Mariners have a 10 win, 10 loss, two tie record. Yeah, two ties. They can do that in spring training, which is a little bit annoying. I understand. Um, we go over here. Uh, a, the 25th, <coughs> excuse me, is a split squad day. March 25th at the Giants uh, facility is a 105 start. And then March 25th at the Diamondbacks is a 110 start. Uh, March 26th at the Padres is a 110 start as well. Uh, in terms of where you can view those, we'll give you those as well, because I know that's important. Uh, folks trying to keep along with these games. Uh, obviously, as you can see in the bottom, you should follow us on Circling Seattle Sports to keep up with those 
better than live. Um, but March 20th is radio versus the Brewers today. March 22nd, radio and TV against the Dodgers. Uh, March 23rd, radio. March 24th, radio and TV. Those split squad games, the Diamondbacks game is both radio and TV. And then the Padres game um, is just radio. So unfortunately, a lot of those are on radio delay as well. So again, the best option is the thing you see in the bottom of your screen scrolling along there. Um following us on social media at Circling Seattle Sports to get that live coverage immediately to your fingertips there. Or if you're not on your phone and you're on your computer or something, um, we'll see your fingertips. So now we don't have anything storm related. I know last week, oh no, we do actually. No, it's it's one thing, it's, it's relatively minor and it was just announced actually a few hours ago, but the storm will be playing a preseason game uh, against against the Phoenix Mercury, uh, May 9th, 2023 at 7 p.m. Uh, at Climate Pledge Arena. That will be a yeah seven o'clock start uh, preseason game. So get the, getting that out of the way, I know last year they only had a few uh, preseason games and I think one was against the Sparks and then the other was against the Mercury down in Phoenix. So. Again, it's going to be a real interesting way to sort of see how the season goes with this Storm team. A lot of players that the team took flyers on. Um, and this is going to be your first chance to really get a look at those players and see um, what this team might may be made up of. It's obviously preseason, so it doesn't mean everything. Uh, not everybody's going to go full gas, but still a big deal, still something to note. Uh, and look forward to. So that is the only thing storm related as we head over here to our Sounders. Um, March 18th versus LAFC, a scoreless draw, uh, tough game, an intense game against LAFC. Our player of the match, goalkeeper Stefan Fry. Fry only had three saves listed, uh, two diving saves and nine recoveries, but it really in this match, Fry was the difference uh, between a win and a loss. Um, yeah, I get, well, kept Seattle from a loss really is the main thing. I apologize. You know, this, the whole ties thing, um, had, had some huge saves here to come out and get the ball. Um, and then in the 92nd minute, a big, big save in extra time to make sure, uh, that Seattle did not concede. And that wasn't a problem. Um, they didn't go, uh, give up that goal late. Yeah as the Sounders really couldn't find that final third there, had some turnovers in the final third. Uh, they, they were the better team than LAFC in this one. Uh, they just couldn't finish it off there to, to put that away, unfortunately. So, I mean, there are two key points. They are, pardon me, they're one point. Uh, I don't know where I'm getting two from. It's, it's one point here in the draw to split that. But I mean, against this LAFC team with the run that they've been on, obviously winning MLS Cup last season, they've had a great start this year. They're currently still in CCL. Um, so they were real, they're really working it right now. They're really, it's a really good club down in LAFC. Um, and to play like you did, obviously, you know, with the way that you looked, you probably should have secured those points. But I don't think it's a bad result necessarily. I know Brian Schmetzer was not happy with it, and I can understand why. Again, with the opportunity that was on the table, you know, early in the season, you get a clean sheet at home, likely that's a win. That's usually a win. Um, and with the way that you started off the first few weeks, normally it would be. Uh, well, you'd think that you'd get more offensive production. Over the last few weeks, you've scored zero goals. Uh, two weeks, it is, which is disappointing. But again, this is week four and you're still kind of figuring things out. Ebert is not with the club right now because of that hamstring strain. Uh, Obed Vargas just played his first match. Um, yes, well, when that happened. So I don't think it's something to worry about necessarily, um, but it is It is something to note. You know, it is It is important, um, and it is something to keep an eye on. Uh, you just hope that that doesn't continue. I know that after the draw, the loss to um, FC Cincinnati, there was like, oh, well, we don't want to note that it looked like last year. Uh, Seattle's record on the road is something that needs to uh, improve. I believe they're winless in their last 19 on the road. Could be wrong. I could be wrong, but it's it's not good. Is the point? I could have made that number bigger than it was. Um, so it, it you know it's it's nice to have three clean sheets at home and four matches 
uh, three clean sheets in three matches at home, uh, three, three clean sheets in four matches should be four, you know, with that loss to Cincinnati, but I digress. So that's a big deal. Uh, but again, I don't want this to be looked at as a failure considering though, that on the contrary, you should have had a goal, you know, um, we have some injury news, unfortunately in that match, uh, you know, it does relate to Stefan Fry actually, and it's not his fault. Uh, Fry came out to get a, collect a ball and, um, kind of helped take out Jackson Reagan in the process. Reagan, um, excuse me, suffered a bruised rib in that match. And Brian Schmetzer said that they will be getting some tests on to see what that mean going, what that means going forward. Um, but yeah, so hoping that, uh, nothing too serious there for Reagan, who's been a key there, uh, for the Sounders. He's started every match for Seattle, and it's just been, he, again, I was really high on Reagan this past year um, and just continuing to hope that he grows and grows. But obviously, you don't want this injury to derail him much. Um, big news here. On the 14th, we found out that the club has qualified for the 2025 Club World Cup. Uh, with the the Club World Cup expanding its format, all CCL winners from 2021 to 2024 uh, for, uh, will have already qualified uh, for the FIFA uh, Club World Cup. So CF Monterey, who won in 21, and then obviously the Sounders, who won last year, um, will both automatically be inserted. Uh, but the new format will feature 32 clubs, including four from CONCACAF, should one club win the CCL title twice in this span until 2024. Um then the next best team in the FIFA rankings would qualify for the Club World Cup with further details of the ranking system to be communicated. Um, a cap of two clubs per country will be applied, which is interesting, with an exception in case more than two clubs from the same country win the CCL over the four-year period. So, yeah, I don't know. It's nice that Seattle will get another shot at it after that tough loss to Al-Ali um, in this, this year's World uh, Club World Cup, but cool to look forward to you know it'll be interesting to see what this what this roster looks like in 2025 but hey that's that's still historic you know i don't know any uh mls team that's been to club world cup once besides the sounders let alone twice so it's pretty good um we move over here we've got a bunch of news about call-up speaking about uh, World Cup uh, sort of things relating to national teams wise. On the 16th, we found out um, that two centers were called up to their respective national teams. The Seattle uh, will have their outside wingbacks, Nuhu and Alex Roldan, representing their countries and missing the March 25th match. Uh, Nuhu for Cameroon and Alex Roldan for El Salvador. March 17th, Obed Vargas was called into the U.S. men's national team U20 camp. Um, that respective camp will see them take on France, England, and Serbia uh in its final training camp before this summer's u20 world cup in indonesia um so that will be spanning from march 19th through 29th vargas has been fully training participated in a preseason match with the tacoma defiance this past week and then obviously like i mentioned he participated in the match against lafc uh, on the same day javier ariago was called into the ecuador camp um I'll continue here before I get to that note. And then March 19th, it looked like Peru might not call up uh, forward Raul Ruiz Diaz. We then found out on the 19th that Raul Ruiz Diaz uh, will be recalled into that camp. Uh, he'll play with Peru in international friendlies against Germany and Morocco. Seattle will be missing as many as six players for international duty um, as Reed Becker Willing will also call into the U19 camp for the U.S. men's national team. Um, so there was a question about why these matches weren't, why uh, the MLS doesn't try to avoid playing during, during these FIFA windows. Uh, but with the League's Cup taking place, um, it made it impossible really to avoid playing during these windows, which is unfortunate, but it, it's still important, you know, to see these players represent their country. Um, but yeah, I know that was something that was like, oh, why can't we just try to avoid this? And that's not something that Seattle can, Seattle or the MLS can really do. Um, 
So we continue on here. Our Sounders sit at a two win, uh, one loss, one draw record. Their next match is March 25th at Sporting Kansas City, uh, which is a 5.30 p.m. start. So Seattle goes on the road for the second time this season, playing a Kansas a Sporting Kansas City team that has not won this year and has really... Uh, they failed. <laughs> they haven't scored a goal yet, uh, but they've only allowed one through those competitions. So um, it, 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 these are important points. So again, you want to be able to stack that in the early part of the season so that you're not trying to play catch up um, in the middle of the season, let alone at the end of the season. So that is it for our Sounders. Well, I mean, they sit at six in the league in supporters shield standings and third in the Western Conference at the moment. So now we will head over to our Seattle Kraken segment. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's tough right now. It's tough right now for our Kraken. So we'll get into it. Um, starting on March 13th versus the Dallas Stars, a 5-2 loss. Our player of the game, defenseman Vince Dunn, two assists and two points. Vince continues his point streak there as Seattle celebrates Pride Night. But unfortunately, Seattle unable to keep up with that talented Stars offensive roster. Um, our photo of the game from that one is this one captured by our lead photographer, Liv Lyons. You can see the Kraken players coming out uh, for warm-ups in those Pride jerseys. All of them don their jerseys. There's no controversy with the Kraken and here, unlike others there around the league, such as James Reimer, who, you know, claim religious beliefs, which is a bunch of baloney, which you can see, uh, is that Ryan Donato? Yeah, Ryan Donato there, who is very open about his faith, and he was able to put the pride jersey on. So, uh, you know, don't use uh, religion as an excuse. But what's a, a key layer here, and I want to give a shout out to my friends, you can see the Thank you for celebrating Pride sign. Uh, that's my friend Ray and our friend Caitlin uh, to the left. Uh, wait, well, the way we're looking at it to the left, but it's their right. So uh, a shout out to Ray there uh, and our friend Caitlin as well. Um, as you know, this is it was really cool to see this, you know, the, the Pride jerseys as well. If you saw me get up earlier, I've got uh, the pullover that they were selling from that. Um, so that was nice to see. Um, I know there was a lot of worry that one of the Kraken players might not come out in the warmups because of all the same bull crap that was happening around the league where players decide to not come out in those. Um, I mean, it's been called out uh, already on Twitter. I don't need to go into it further. Um, you know, but as someone who considers uh, himself in that community, um, it was very important to see that representation and a big sigh of relief to not have to worry about one of the players not coming out. Uh, I'm in those warm-up jerseys. You know, it's 15 minutes in a jersey. You going to burn? Like, come on. Um, anyway, we'll get to the past games here. Uh, so the, the Kraken lost that one. They go after playing the Sharks. Pardon me, the Sharks. The Stars for two, day, two games and three days. They headed on the road down to San Jose for the final time to play the Sharks. Uh, they would win that game in overtime. It was frustrating that that game even went to overtime. Uh, you know, Philip Grubauer played great. The offense just couldn't beat, ironically, James Reimer at the time um, until overtime. And Seattle even trailed this game late. Seattle gave up. Um, Seattle uh, had a penalty shot called against them. Um, one, uh, I think it was a rookie for San Jose who scored. Um Vince Dunn was able to score the winner in overtime. He is one of our players of the game here. Uh, one goal, one point, a two plus minus, three shots, one hit, one block, and one takeaway, extending his point streak to 11 games. Uh, another player of the game, Philip Grubauer, for his excellent game to really keep Seattle in that one, to keep that one within striking distance, uh, 969 save percentage and 31 saves on the day. That one, again, yeah, that was a game against San Jose. San Jose's a bottom-feeding team, and I don't say that just to make a sort of aquatic pun. But that was not a game that they should have, uh, that San Jose should have been in, and it was kind of frustrating that that was even something that we had to worry about. Um, and then wrapping up, March 18th, Seattle returns home for a key divisional game against the Edmonton Oilers, who have been on a tear in the second half of a season. And they would lose that one six to four. Uh, you know, they were in that really up until the third period. And then the Oilers were able to pull away um, our player of the game 
forward Ellie Tolvin and Tolvin in one goal, one point, one plus minus, one shot, and two hits on the day. Our photo of the game from Live Lions here, the fight between forward John Hayden and Clem Costin. I say fight, but if you're able to see it, um, it really was Hayden and Costin just kind of spinning each other around. Um, it was like a tilt-a-whirl. I would have thrown up personally. Um, and then when they fell down, Costin fell on Hayden and then Hayden limped to the locker room and didn't return to the game with a lower body injury. So that was just messy and unfortunate all around. That was just ugly. Um, we go to our player of the week here. I mean, I know he's been at uh, a couple of times now the past few weeks, but with the way he's been playing, it's hard to not pick Vince Dunn again and the point streak that he's on. Vince, over the last week, one goal, three assists, four points, a four plus minus, eight shots, two hits, and a block. His point streak reaches 12. It remains both a franchise and personal best. It is the longest active streak in the NHL. Uh, that streak makes him the ninth defenseman in the past 20 years to record a run of at least a dozen games, according to the NHL's PR. So we have to have a talk about this because this is uh, becoming a problem. Um, these are key games for Seattle. You're obviously playing a Stars team Um Tomorrow, they play a Stars team. They play that Stars team again three times this month. Um, that's really solid offensively. You should have beat them, arguably, in that first game that you played them. Uh, that second one was just ugly. The fact that you struggled like that against San Jose, you had a slow start in that game, um, and your finishing has been unfortunate. And that Oilers game, too, you were in it, uh, but your own mistakes were at fault. Your own mistakes continue to be at fault. That's been the case for the past two years that this franchise has existed. Uh, we got a comment on the blog post again by somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, our, uh, unfortunately, um, who said we have a league bottom, bottom of the league goaltending. And now I know that this person in particular has called out Philip Grubauer, uh, but Martin Jones sucks. Martin Jones has been bad um, these past few weeks, let alone past few months. Um, he had the good November a little bit of the December side of things, but has been poor ever since. He looks slow. His reaction time is bad. He's been given clear, clear lanes to see the puck and has not been able to make the saves. His rebound control is off. He's not very quick in the crease. Uh, it's a problem. Martin Jones is a problem. And so any idea or thought that Martin Jones should be with this team next year was outlandish and just wrong at the time when those claims were being made back in December, January. Um, and if there's anybody still climbing for, clamoring for that now, they're wrong. Philip Grubauer has been the clear starter since the year began, the 2023 year began, not this season. Had a little bit of a struggle to begin the year. Uh, Colorado game was good and has been pretty damn good since that Colorado game. Um, I just, I, it, it was just wild to see, you know, because again, Martin Jones was signed because of the injury to Chris Trieger. He was only ever meant to be a stopgap. It was a one-year deal. He was here to be a veteran guy that they could use when group, they weren't starting Grubauer. Um, he's looked really bad, man. He's looked very bad. So if that comment that we got on the blog was talking about Jones, you're right. Uh, according to Money Puck, in terms of goals saved above average, he is the 15th worst goalie in the NHL. So this, the numbers back it up as well. So throw away the win-loss record because that's not a goalie-specific stat. You shouldn't measure a goalie by that mark. Um, it's it, It's been bad. And... You know, not to, it, it, that doesn't excuse the defensive issues as well. Seattle's defensive issues, there was one goal against the Oilers where both defensemen were up against the wall, um, up against the wall on a play, and they left Edmonton wide open in the high slot. <laughs> you, they, both defensemen should never be on one side of anything, you know, let alone both on the wall. So, you know, these continue to be mental mistakes that Seattle makes. You know, some of it's just bad luck. Um, like there was uh, Connor McDavid's goal technically went against, I believe, Will Borgen's stick. Uh, there was a game a few weeks ago where the game-winning goal actually went off of Will Borgen's stick. I'm not calling out Will Borgen. This is just stuff that's unfortunate. You know, some of it you do have to tip the cap. Uh, the first goal against Grubauer in that game against Oilers was bad. Yes, it was bad. Uh, but, you know, we've broken this down before with the photos as well. Um, 
your defensive issues continue to be a problem. And while the, the, you know, Vince Dunn has been great. Adam Larson's been solid, uh, really, really solid. Uh, Will Borgens had a pretty solid year. Jamie Alexiak's doing better uh, in terms of his offensive production. Uh, Justin Schultz has been a solid veteran. Carson Susie's had his moments as well. Um, you're going to need to get uh, at least one new defenseman this offseason. You know, you'd like to lock up Vince Dunn immediately uh, as soon as the offseason begins for Seattle or whenever that's available. I don't think that should be a question. We've already talked about that in weeks prior. Um, but some of these guys should not be back. Plain and simple. You know, just because of the way that things have gone and you want to continue to be better. Maybe that's with Riker Evans coming up. Maybe that's via free agency or via trade, you know, but Seattle has to get better defensively. Simply has to get better. Um, calls for a gold, new goaltender are bizarre. You know, one, you're not going to move Philip Grubauer. One, because he shouldn't be moved. Two, because that contract's immovable. Um, Chris Drieger, that's an interesting topic to talk about in the offseason. But Drieger easily, as soon as the organization deems him ready uh, to play at the NHL level, Martin Jones. It's, uh, it's like the big cartoon hook on the stage. It's got to go gotta go it's simple i'm sorry it's not a not a question so um i'm sorry i had a clip here from pride night that i i skipped of to talk about uh the the games here so just a really clip uh quick clip that we got uh from team pr uh from pride night um just to show off them with the jerseys here really quick Yeah, so that was kind of cool to see. Um, but we don't have any league related. Oh, no, we do have injury news. Pardon me. Um, yeah, that Oilers game was tough for a lot of reasons. Just because you lost, um, Edmonton gets a few points lead on you in that third place uh, spot in the division, uh, and it got some injuries from it. So on the 18th, Mar uh, Philip Grubauer left that game against the Oilers due to a non-COVID illness. It was originally designated as a lower body injury, uh, and then later in the game we found it's a non-COVID illness. And as a result, today the team called up goaltender Joey Decord in a emergency loan capacity. So that was really interesting. I've never personally seen an emergency loan. You know, we continue to learn about the game of hockey. I apologize. I'm not a genius at it. Um, but I, it doesn't. I, I have to wonder what it is. Maybe it's the flu. But with the emergency loan capacity, it makes me think that they're just being cautious in case they need to have Joey Decord available. Um, but it also tells me that they don't believe Chris Drieger is fully ready yet. They want to continue to get him games down at the AHL level with the Firebirds um, as they continue to go there. So, uh, yeah, that was that was tough uh, to see. Um, but. The other thing, too, in that game against the Oilers forward, as I mentioned, John Hayden left the game against the Oilers due to a lower body injury. So you had two guys out there. They both were originally designated as lower body injuries. Grubauer then uh, changed to a non-COVID illness. I uh, haven't gotten an update on Hayden and no technical update on Grubauer, but with the move for Decord, that kind of gives you the update that you need to an extent. So a little bit to read there. Uh, we look ahead for our crack in here over the upcoming week. This is a big upcoming week, as I mentioned. Um, Edmonton is in third place in the division right now. They currently hold that spot, and they have a, a couple points lead over Seattle. Um, Seattle has the first overall wildcard spot in the Western Conference, but they only hold that by two points ahead of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, they stood a 38 win, 24 loss, seven overtime loss record, which is good for fourth in the Pacific Division at 83 points. But again, they occupy that first wildcard spot only by two points, though. So if they continue to slide, they've <laughs> the playoffs could be very well in jeopardy. Now, this upcoming week is very key for that. March 21st is at the Dallas Stars. Seattle has not beaten Dallas this year in their first two matchups. Um they get a chance to do that, but it's in Dallas's house uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, the 21st at a 5.30 p.m. puck drop. And then Seattle heads down to Nashville for two games. Now, Nashville is also in this race as well uh, for one of those wild card spots. So, I mean, you're in a wild card spot right now. You would ideally like to be in one of the top three spots in your division. But in order to do that, you're going to have to buckle down 
and man the F up. Um, March 23rd at the Predators is a 5 p.m. start. Seattle gets a day off, and then they play again on the 25th at the Predators, which is the 11 a.m. start. Again, Nashville is about... So the first two teams in the wild card make it, um, and then everybody else is looking in. Calgary is looking in right now. They're a few points out. They've been struggling, and then the Predators are looking in as well. So you have to take care of business. You have to come away... Um, I'd argue with four points from those three games. I'd, I'd argue that, you know, Seattle's been road warriors this year. Uh, they're going to have to do that this stretch, you know, with especially with teams that you're you're dealing with um, who are sitting in playoff spots in the Western Conference. So that's something to note there. And it's uh, it's, it's a little bit worrisome. So um, we move over here to something that's not worrisome with our oil rain. Um, who finished up their preseason tournament in Portland at Providence Park. Two matches here to go over. March 15th versus Racing Louisville FC. Uh, 2-0 loss, unfortunate. But again, this that that group uh, against Racing Louisville was heavily rotated, so a lot of players coming in and out um, against Louisville. Uh, no players scored there, so it's shut out. No player of the game. Uh, March 18th at the Thorns to finish up that preseason tournament, a one to nothing win. Our player of the game midfielder, Jess Fishlock, with one goal from that there um, to give the rain the lead that they never gave up and close out that tournament with a victory. So uh, we approach the, the regular season here. We've got that preseason roster. I'm not entirely sure when we get the uh, regular season roster to open up things. Um, We'll have a season preview article on that here within the next few days. We should have that. Um, but no, I mean, it should be exciting. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see the when the World Cup comes along, uh, how the Rain are able to mitigate that, what players will be able to step up in those moments, uh, where certain players might move in terms of position-wise. Um, but you've got largely a good amount of the same group returning. You've got new additions in Elise Bennett, Emily Sonnet, you know, Shea Holmes and Natalie Vigiano via the draft. Um, will Mackenzie Weinert make a return after being left off that preseason roster? So, you know, there are some decisions to be made. It's tough considering the fact right now that the rain don't have a general manager. Um, but at least, you know, uh, if we look at general look at things, the range should be good again, and they could very well defend that shield. Uh, but it won't be easy. It certainly won't be easy. Kansas City, fully healthy, should be a dangerous team. Um, a lot of these teams getting up back up to full strength will be very important. Uh, and the, you know that World Cup, uh, that World Cup stretch will be a big, interesting factor uh, where some players on this roster will need to step up. So. We look ahead here on the 17th, the team released their purpose kit. Now, a uh, fun story on the media day that the rain had a few weeks ago, um, they were obviously shooting, um, taking photos in this uh, for media related things, whether it's the league or the, the rain itself. Um, the rain originals and Lou Barnes, just Fishlock and Megan Rapino had these on by the time that they brought them over to us in media. And so, uh, to cover that up, they all wore Renaissance-like garb, so that was kind of funny. But I could see the sleeves on it, and um, I got a glimpse of it initially. But the Rain have their new Purpose Primary Kit. It will take over for the old, the old, the former kit, the Hope Kit. You're going to go through some photos here of that kit. We can see, uh, rotate through that here. Um and we'll bring that statement up, but we'll continue to rotate through these photos. Uh, the ones outside that you can see here are all by Jane Gershevich. And then the ones that are in the red, uh, I believe Jane uh, and Lydia Brewer both worked on those. I want to say both, um, but I know at least Lydia Brewer was involved um, in that as well. So we're going to look here, get that statement for you on the purpose kit. So the theme of the purpose uh, of purpose embodies the player driven culture established at the rain since the club's founding and is designed to capture uh, a sense of place and in the environment that defines the rain aligning the design with the rain's mission and values the kit and its design symbolizes the bold mindset and dedication to advocating for the community when it comes to things like sustainability social justice the empowerment of women and lgbtq plus rights to name a few i know that uh, lou barnes had a pretty heavy involvement in the design of this as well uh, so worn with pride uh, representing seattle it's got that geometric pattern inspired by the landscape surrounding the rain in the Pacific Northwest. 
Um, it's adorned with that red stripe on both sides. See if you can find it. There we go. It's a perfect pick for it. Um, obviously that Nike swoosh. Um, the as you can see on the front, it will feature uh, the black. Well, I show this one, and then it doesn't have the front on it. We'll go that one as well. Uh, the black future co-op fund feature on the front of the primary and secondary jerseys until such time that the club secures a future uh, a new presenting sponsor. Oh, so for the time being, a partner of the rain, um, the black future co-op fund serves as a critical catalyst for change in the club's community, investing in areas that are underserved and underappreciated in an effort to elevate the community in a more equitable place. As Washington's first black led philanthropy, they directly provide more resources, uh, collective power, and support to black Washingtonians, a mission that the rain supports deeply. We will finish up the photos here. Sam Hyatt and then Fallon Tillis Joyce donning the keeper kit version as well. So that's really cool to see. I know this is probably outside of the purple and neon kit that they did when they were the Seattle rain. Uh, this is probably the most unique design that the rain have had on a kit. Um, I like it personally. I like it. I wasn't sure how I felt about it when I saw it initially at that media day, but I like it. I think it's good. I think it looks pretty solid. Um, and it's, 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 it's got more sort of, I don't want to say this cause it sounds stupid. It's got more flavor to it in a way. So, um, I'm a fan of it, but that's that. So, uh, looking ahead, the rain have their first match of the regular season, the NWSL opener, uh, March 26th at the Washington spirit. So they begin their season on the road, uh, ignore the little thing on the bottom. Um, March 26th at the Washington spirit is a 1 PM Pacific time start. Uh, it's a big one there, uh, on the road against Washington. You know, Washington does still have some talent. There might not be the same group that won, uh, wait. Yes, won it all a few years ago, um, but still, you know, this is a new season, new opportunity uh, to represent. So we move over here to our Seattle Seawolves, who had the week off, so there was no games there. Um, we do have a piece of news, though. On the 14th, blindside flanker Charles Elton was named the league's top into the league's top 15 best performers of week four. Uh, with 13 tackles made, 32 ruck arrivals, and 78 meters run. Uh, you know, Elton, you know, I believe did lead, continue to lead the league in tackles here. We can double check to make sure if he does or not. But I know that with the bye week uh, for the Seawolves happening, uh, they got passed in the standings because they didn't play, you know. And... Um, so likewise, Elton could have been moved past in tackles as well, but we'll double check to make sure on that. Um, made tackles. Yes. So now he's fallen down all the way down to fourth as uh, Jan Adrian Buisson uh, sits at 78 while Elton sits at 68. So yeah, the bye week kind of hurts that, but uh, Seattle will have plenty of opportunity. Oh, but Rickard Hatting still leads the league and tries scored. Isn't that kind of funny? Um, all right. But so that is it for our Seawolves here. They sit at a 4-0 record still, 17 standing points, which puts them now at second in the league and second in the Western Conference behind the San Diego Legion, their arch rival. Uh, next week, the Seawolves go on the road to play uh, the Chicago Hounds, March 26th with a 1 p.m. start. Uh, Chicago, the newest expansion team that's currently playing in the MLR. So that'll be an interesting match there to see how Seattle stacks up with Chicago. We go over to our Seattle Sea Dragons here who have now won three straight and are looking much like the team that a lot of people were hoping they would be when this XFL season started. So they played at the time, the 4-0 uh, Houston Roughnecks, Seattle winning that one 21-14, our play of the game. I would have gone with the whole defense, and I still, you still could argue that I would. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I would go with defensive end Nico Lalos. Lalos, only three tackles total, uh, but he did have the game-stealing interception on the final drive. Uh, Houston was making a bit of comeback, and with the way that the XFL does things with the three-point, two-point, and one-point conversions, um, they could Houston could have walked it off. But Lalos gets the game-stealing interception. Uh, the defense played lights out. They they shut out Houston, which, I, as, as I mentioned, had gone 4-0 in the weeks prior. Uh, hold them to zero points in the first half. You know, the Seattle struggles with turnovers again, unfortunately. Um, but the defense was able to, 
hold you in it the whole game. The offense was able to take care of, uh, just do just enough effectively. Uh, and the defense was able to close the door. So that was a big win. I mean, Seattle's won their last three. They beat a 4 0 Houston team to prove that Seattle's really, uh, it's a real deal. I've got my Sea Dragons hat finally. So that's nice. Um, no, I mean, this is continuing to look like the Sea Dragons team that a lot of people had hoped they would be. Uh, the turnovers continue to be an issue, and until they figure that out and they're able to minimize that, it'll hold back their potential. Um, but they've got one of the best offenses, if not the best offense in all of the XFL, you know, with Ben DiNucci leading that receiving core. Morgan Nelson led the league in rushing yards for a good amount of time. Brendan Ox is a solid runner, is a solid downhill runner. Um and that defense has played really well the last few weeks. If, you know, again, they can cut down on the turnovers, this team arguably is the best team in the XFL. Uh, and you look at those first two games that they lost in D.C. and St. Louis. In D.C., they fumbled on the goal line, which would have been the game-winning touchdown. Uh, against St. Louis, they had the lead and they blew it uh, to give up a, a late field goal. So you could argue that this team should be 5-0 and had they cleaned up their own mistakes, but that's not how it goes. We're now about halfway through the regular season. Um, and so you just got to continue to build you, build from here. But cutting down on the turnovers is obviously a really big key. So we'll look over here to the next game uh, as the Sea Dragons sit at third in the XFL, 3-2 and two record. Their next game is March 25th at the Orlando Guardians, uh, which is a 10.30 a.m. start. Yes, 10.30. You heard that right. That game is, um, ooh, shoot. Yeah, 10.30 a.m. start. Uh, but... Three and two, Seattle, uh, with a win, has a chance to move up to second in the division. Uh, we move over here to something that's a little bit different. I don't know how many people follow cricket, but Seattle will be getting their own cricket team. They are called the Seattle Orcas. Uh, if you saw that, we go, okay, take a look at that really quick. And then we're going to go back to our Seawolves. Take a look at the Seawolves logo in the bottom corner. They're very similar. Just a little bit of a problem. Uh, but Seattle will have their own official cricket team. It's Major League Cricket. Uh, the team will partner with the Delhi Capitals co-owner GMR group to bring, quote-unquote, world-class cricket to the Pacific Northwest. The Seattle Orcas um, will leap into competition in their historic debut season of, of in the historic. Okay, so Major League Cricket is brand new. This summer, it's only a three-week round-robin season. The newly named team will represent the greater Seattle area and Pacific Northwest. Uh, the new league will bring some of the world's top players to compete in a sport that boasts millions of fans in the U.S. and its second most watched sport globally with more than 2 billion followers. Uh, the team unveiled its logo and team name back on the 16th. Uh, the mark honors, quote unquote, the Pacific Northwest beloved orcas considered a symbol of power and strength. Uh, again, this looks a lot like the Seattle Seawolves logo, so it's a little bit unfortunate that they're so close to that. Um, while Seattle will not host any matches during this upcoming season, as uh, I believe the entire league will be playing down in Texas, uh, the team, along with Major League Cricket, is working with King County and the city of Bellevue to build a cricket community park that could host up to 6,000 people for future home games uh, and other international cricket events. It's going to be a 20-acre facility, would be in Merrimore Park in Redmond, a few miles east of Seattle, with the Redmond City Council passing a motion of support for that development. Um, that'll be, I mean, Redmond. We'll try to make it out to those games. Um, but yeah, I was kind of pushed heavily to follow this. I mean, they are a pro team, so it is something to note. Um, we'll try to see if there's any more key information for you here. Uh, their other teams will be uh, Texas, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, and Washington, D.C. Uh, they will begin July 13th with the 2023 Major League Cricket Championship final set for July 30th. Uh, the Pacific Northwest, quote unquote, with a league from Justin Geel, the MLC tournament director, is a hotbed for American cricket with a vibrant youth scene and the current reigning Major League Cricket champions. This is excuse me, Seattle Thunderbolts hailing from the area. It's going to be exciting to see the Seattle Orcas build on that platform and compete in the inaugural Major League Cricket Championship. Uh, so that'll be interesting. Uh, and there is a intro video, 22 second intro video uh, from the Orcas here. So it'll be interesting to follow cricket. I have to admit, I, I'm, it's going to be a learning experience, but we've got until July 
effectively to figure that out. So that's plenty of time to figure that out and get to it. Um, but we do have our first crop of players for the, the Orcas here. So we'll go over the draft results, which took place on March 19th in round one with the first overall pick. Yes, the first overall pick in the draft Seattle got. Seattle selected Harmeet Singh, uh, who was an all-rounder, age 30. The left-arm spinning all-rounder uh, was part of the 2012 India U19 World Cup winning side and has captained the Seattle Thunderbolts, as you mentioned, the minor league cricket side that won the championship last year, uh, to the 2020 U2 MILC franchise T20 title. Uh, he was just taken first overall by Seattle. In round two, Seattle selected Shihan Jayasuriya, uh, a batter, age 31, a quick-scoring left-handed batsman and a right-arm off-break bowler. He was born in Colombo and attended the Prince of Wales College, Maratua, and he won a gold medal in 2014. In round three, Seattle selected Shubham uh, Ranjani, an all-rounder, age 28, who is a former Seattle Thunderbolt. Uh, round four, Cameron Gannon, an all-rounder, age 34. Round five, Aaron Jones, a batter, age 28, played as a batsman for the U.S. national cricket team. Round six, uh, Nauman Anwar, a batter, age 27. Round seven, Fani Simhadri, a, bowl, a bowler. Uh, I say I said batter. Okay, I thought I said bowler. It's bowler. I can speak, I promise. Age 31, round eight, Angelo Pereira, a batter, age 33. And then round 19, Matthew Trump, a bowler, only age 17. So as I mentioned, with that being in July, it'll be really interesting to see the way that it all broke down, um, that it all cricket breaks down. Um yeah, it'll be, I still have a lot to learn about that sport. But uh, we're going to wrap up here with our uh, star of the week. And I went with Seattle's free agent signings for the Seahawks. Again, there's a lot of impact players here for Seattle that are on the table that they've included. And obviously, Draymond Jones on the front there. Um, as Seattle looks to build off of a team that exceeded a ton of expectations in 2022 uh, slash 23 with the season ending in 2023 and made the playoffs and, and a lot of good young talent, including last year's draft class. So, if, you know, Seattle can maybe um, even if they add more to this free agent signing class, as well as have a great draft class in this year's selections. Seattle could be looking at going much further in the playoffs than they did last season. So, uh that's it. Uh, we've got exciting week upcoming for you, obviously, down in spring training. We'll throw that back up there. Um, exciting there. That'll be obviously our main focus. But again, with spring approaching, uh, all of our teams are really starting to get closer and closer into kicking into full gear. The Seahawks, you know, obviously are working through a free agency. The Mariners are going to wrap up spring training. The Storm are uh, still kind of getting ready for the season. The Sounders are in full gear. The Kraken are fighting for that playoff spot to secure that playoff spot. The rain will begin their season over the upcoming week. The Seawolves return to action looking to continue their four-game winning streak to begin the season. The Sea Dragons are on a three-game win streak. So till we see you next week uh, from Peoria, uh, take care of yourself, be well, and do whatever you can to make today a great day. produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.